Belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for December 4th, 2022 is called Making the Prince of Peace the Center of Our Gravity. The speaker is Jennifer Acuff, and it was recorded on Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Morning, everyone. Um, so glad you're all here. Um, when I told my husband that I was delivering this lesson, he laughed out loud, <laughs> like offensively. <laughs> um, it is very unnatural for me to be up here this morning talking about this uh, this topic that we're covering today. And so um, that makes me a little bit nervous, but also excited. Um, so I'm really glad to be here um, and have this opportunity. So peace is the one fruit of the spirit that I really don't think I've ever been able to get a grasp on and wrap my head around, at least to the point that I could embody it on any level. Um, to be clear, I'm not very good at the other ones either, but I at least understand them a little bit better. Um, you can talk to Justin about which ones are my, my high points and low points, but um, peace is definitely uh, in the low for me. Um, and so uh, that's probably why I read Luke 126 and the rest of the chapter, our passage today, um, with very big and mixed emotions. I feel very deeply how disturbing um, stressful and alarming the angel's mes- message was to Mary. Um, I'm in complete awe of her response, honestly. Um, leaves me mostly speechless, but here I am with <laughs> a packet. So um, so uh, we can see how beautiful her response is um, in the beautiful song, The Magnificat. Her response is a complete contradiction from that which we saw of Zechariah a few verses earlier, a response that I confess I would almost certainly have not had. Um, I believe the story was retold for us, though, not so that we could just sit in awe of Mary, but so that we could also emulate her actions. Um, In our second week of Advent, we're looking at what it means to put our hope in God's past, present, and future plans and receive divine peace in return. This is the first thing that I want to talk about and what I want to importantly note this morning is that we have to receive and accept divine peace. Sometimes we think that we can have peace once we have been granted the things that we've hoped or wished for. Um, And so if you weren't here last week, we talked about hope. I encourage you to go check it out to kind of frame this up, perhaps a little differently. Um, But uh, it really kind of builds on what we're putting our hopes in. And once we've established the healthy hope, uh, we can move on into discussing peace. So Luke 126 is um, through 56 is our uh, text for today. So I was told to light the candles at this point. So I shall do that. Do we go clockwise or counterclockwise? Very helpful team. (laughs) We're on a roll. I, I I will go clockwise. Okay. All right. What? Oh, thank you. Okay. So I'm going to read our text together. Um, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph and the virgin's name Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. 
You're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. <laughs> At which point I would have been lost. Um, I would have shown Gabriel the door. I don't do well with surprises, especially when someone tells me a surprise is coming. That's the worst way to get uh, on my bad side is a surprise coming. Um, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will rule Jacob's house forever, no end ever to his kingdom. Mary said to the angel, but how? I've never slept with a man. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called Holy Son of God. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son, old as she is? Everyone called her barren, and here she is, six months pregnant. Nothing you see is impossible with God. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. I am the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say. Then the angel left her. Mary didn't waste a minute. She got up and traveled to a town in Judah in the hill country, straight to Zechariah's house, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and sang out exuberantly, you're so blessed among women and the babe in your womb also blessed. And why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord visits me? The moment the sound of your greeting entered my ears, the babe in my womb skipped like a lamb for sheer joy. Blessed woman who believed what God said, believed every word would come true. And Mary said, I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my savior God. God took one good look at me, and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose name is holy, set apart from all others. His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. He bared his arm and showed his strength, scattered the bluffing braggarts. He knocked tyrants off their high horses, pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child, Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham and right up to now. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months and then went back to her own home. This story is a very stark contrast from what we read last week, with Zechariah receiving shocking news um, and the way he responded. And it's also a stark contrast from most of the stories in the Bible where men are visited by an angel and given some incredible news. Um, oftentimes they requested a sign, they expressed doubt, they didn't really appreciate the tidings. Um, and uh, that was despite the precedence in Jewish history that God says he'll do great things and then he does them. It was despite that precedence. So Abram wanted a covenant from God. Gideon wanted to test God like three times over and over again. Uh, Moses said, you know, what if, what if they don't believe me? Um, how can I believe you? I'm not actually very good at talking. This isn't going to work out, right? Um, Mary's situation, on the other hand, had no precedence. What the angel was telling her that he would do simply had no precedence. Um, and so her question of Gabriel simply reflected curiosity and healthy fear, but not just for herself, but also for her betrothed, Joseph. Okay, um, 
in the book of Tobit, or book of Tobias, it's in the Apocrypha, there's a very common story that would have been passed down, and Mary would have been familiar with it. It's a story of a woman having tried to get married multiple times, and the night before she'd get married, a demon would appear and kill her bridegroom. So she knew this story well, and this is probably what she thought of initially, of an angel showing up before she's getting married, and she's worried about her husband, right? her future husband, okay? So it's very reasonable that she had a healthy fear about this. Um, generally speaking, no one likes surprises right before their wedding, right? Uh, any unannounced visitor at the wedding or beforehand is not welcome. So it's very reasonable that she was concerned. But then at the end of the announcement, Mary dropped everything to go be with Elizabeth immediately. A woman she also believed to be chosen for a special part in this story. And one thing John mentioned in the teaching meeting this week was that Mary may have been going to a safe place. She saw this original, she saw this transition about to begin and thought, I'm going to go surround myself with people who know what this is like or are experiencing it as well and can be supportive. So it's a lovely example of caring for oneself by seeking a trusted community. But also a very important part to me <laughs> is that when she left her hometown and family and friends in this particular manner, I think she was effectively giving up control of the narrative. When she comes back after caring for Elizabeth after three months, she'll probably have already started to undergo big bodily changes, right? So talk about surprises for your friends and family and neighbors. Um, you'll be the town gossip, right? So I imagine a lot of doubt when Mary comes back to her neighborhood to tell them, uh, three months ago, <laughs> I saw an angel told me this, and surprise, right? Um, I think she gave up control of the narrative. Right? If I had been given that news, I would have immediately launched into action to control, right? to figure out how I can translate this so that I don't end up on the wrong side of the story. Right? Um, I've always assumed that she would have thought the same thing, her reputation being probably the most important thing to her as a young, unmarried Jewish woman in the community. Um, but uh, she let go of that conditioning of reputation first and embraced what God put in front of her. Jesus also had this trait. I like to think it was something that he learned from his mother. But this is where I think I get really hung up with the moral of this story, right, of peace and acceptance. Um, I strive for perfection and finding the best possible outcome in everything, from loading the dishwasher to my whole job, right? I, I seek the best possible outcome and control. Um, I've always been this way. I cannot remember a day in my life when I was not stressed, overwhelmed, exhausted, concerned about something on my plate. Um, and I'm not kidding when I say I can't remember a day. My parents can tell stories of hearing me grind my teeth at night from another room in the house when I was in kindergarten, <laughs> okay? My dentist says I'm a clincher. It means I have this like imprint of my jawline on my tongue because I'm constantly clenching, okay? Um, when I was seven or eight, I was prompted in Sunday school to draw a picture of what heaven would look like, what I believed heaven would be like. And while my friends were all drawing pictures of puppies and ice cream and water parks and Mr. Gaddy's pizza and arcade, um, I drew a bed and a pillow because I was tired <laughs> and I wanted to rest. Um, and what I now know is I was seeking peace. I couldn't articulate that when I was seven, but I get it now. That's what I've always wanted, and it's what is constantly eluding me. Um, so now you can see why my husband laughed 
very hard when I said I was delivering this. Um, when I was 19, I wanted a tattoo because I was 19, right? And my parents, really, their only concern was just that, like, okay, we'll pick something that you're okay with having your whole life because that's what it's there for. Um, and so I embraced the phrase, peace be with you, because I thought this one's going to be with me for a while, right? No change in 19 years. And fun fact, 10 years later, tw uh, sorry, 12 years later, uh, older than I thought, uh, still no change, still a good reminder. So um, that's why I was very concerned uh, this morning. And so um, a couple of weeks ago when it came up, okay, we need someone to talk about peace. Second week of Advent, I ignored it. <laughs> Next week came up, we need someone to talk about peace. I ignored it. <laughs> and then finally, uh, I realized um, that I was probably having a Moses moment in the worst possible way, because I thought, oh, talk about peace couldn't be me. <laughs> it could not be me talking about peace. Um, but luckily, um, we have uh, a really good teaching team, um, and so we never actually have to get up here and deliver something on our own. Uh, but also, I realized that my wrestling with this topic for so many years probably gives me some material to talk about, right? So sometimes it can be hard to articulate what peace is, right? It's hard to put um, a definition to such a small and powerful word. And so sometimes it's actually easier to start with what it isn't, right? So what it isn't and what the teaching team talked about were turmoil, chaos, violence, discord, indifference, control, and passive, okay? Anyone wanna add words? It is a pretty good list. I'm sure it's not perfect, but it is pretty good. All right. So uh, peace looks different in every season, right? Um, but there is a list of words that our teaching team came up with that it does include. Reconciliation, restoration, unity, acceptance, satisfaction, healing, and patience. Anyone want to add words? Surrender. Who said that? <laughs> right, we can look at Mary as an incredible representation of peace by embodying acceptance, satisfaction, patience, and surrender in this situation. Um, I've not been pregnant in my life, but I have very special people who have shared many stories about what it is like to be pregnant. Um, and it's just a really wild time, apparently. <laughs> biggest understatement of the year, right? There are so many changes, both temporary and permanent, and sometimes they don't even stop after the pregnancy. My best friend's feet grew a year after her last child was born. So this is a real um, embracing of a new life when you become pregnant, okay? Um, after conception, the pregnancy pretty much just runs itself. Like you can take vitamins and adjust your diet, take medications, but it's going to do what it's going to do, right? You don't have a whole lot of choice in that anymore. Um, the outcome is basically directed by body and nature. But how a person reacts to a pregnancy can change that overall experience. And in some cases, it's the mindset that it, and the acknowledgement of the changes happening that can be very influential of the experience. So, for example, pregnant people experience a literal shift in their gravity, right? Imagine that. What you thought was centered, balanced, your whole life is now not. you got to change, right? Um, probably one of the most um, daunting things that I think about when I think of pregnancies. You have to change your posture and your gait 
what you choose to bend down and pick up, right? How you tie your shoes, everything changes. Um, you have to manage this new changing body. And of course, one could be in complete denial of that, right? Just choose to believe that's not really happening to you, but what's the result? It's still gonna happen. You're just gonna be off balance, always. Um, the coming of Jesus caused Mary to change her center of gravity, right? But also for the rest of her life, and she readily accepted it. And we see this in the Magnificat. This is written poetically in the past, present, and future tense. So if you didn't pick up on that when I read it the first time, go back and read it afterwards and notice the change in tense throughout this, this beautiful song. Okay, it's like she already saw herself in the bigger picture and envisions how she fits into the story of God's old kingdom and the new kingdom, which I say is pretty incredible and brave of a young woman <laughs> in this time. There's a beautiful piece that John brought to our attention in the planning of this lesson called Follow the Women by Mary Beth Meadows. And the gist of it is that if you want to find the revolutionaries, the forces for change, the community sympathizers who demand and bring about justice, then look for the women. She writes, throughout the Old Testament, Creator wove a strong, beautiful textile of faithful revolutionary women leading to Mary. I imagine through her teenage angst and hope, she tearfully and righteously proclaimed, this is for us. Mary was a threat, a fighter, a revolutionary, a mother, a partner who conspired with God to usher in a new kingdom. I imagine she even taught Jesus to flip tables. We can avoid gender tropisms, right? But we can't ignore the tendency or the skill that many women do have um, to address situations holistically for the sake and good of the community in a sacrificial way. So society has conditioned this to be the expectation but we can learn from what women have done so well, and all of us can learn and lean into it. Now, if we aren't intentional about this, life just becomes one anxiety that we replace with another continually till the end of time, okay? I didn't bring a graph this time, last time I brought a graph, uh, but my husband did say I should bring a graph to show my level of peace over time. It would be peak as a newborn, and then a plummet and a plateau. <laughs> Uh, until death, right? Uh, I live by the phrase, I'll sleep when I die. Uh, that's kind of that's what happens, right? So if we're not intentional, it's just a process of one anxiety being replaced by another. I'm an expert in this. Um, but that's because we can't achieve peace. We can't live thinking, if I just get this one accomplishment, or if I can just have financial security, or if I can just fix this relationship, or if I can just fill in the blank then I can rest, then I can have peace, then I could refocus and reprioritize um, and be more accepting of these circumstances, right? We, we kid ourselves into thinking, if we just get a little bit closer, I don't need to fix it, but if I just get a little bit closer, I can deal with this. I can let God deal with it then, right? We fool ourselves. Um, but we have to embrace the satisfaction, the reconciliation, healing, and a hope for a better future that God offers and only God can provide. We cannot earn it. We cannot achieve it. Rather than tearing ourselves up from the inside because of worldly and external forces. But this isn't a passive thing. 
It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of restraint. It takes a lot of contemplation. This is not a lack of action on our part to accept the peace being given. Many times adopting and seeking internal peace requires active waiting and patience. So earlier this week, my husband Justin found a very relevant passage from the Watch for the Light Advent book. Um, Henry Nouwen writes, a waiting person is a patient person. Patience means the willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the full in the belief that something hidden there will manifest itself to us. Impatient people are always expecting the real thing to happen somewhere else and therefore want to go somewhere else. The moment is empty, but patient people dare to stay where they are. Patient living means to live actively in the present and wait there. Waiting is not passive. So while we wait, we can address the anxiety, <laughs> the turmoil, the chaos with gratitude and curiosity and wonder. And Voskamp's Advent devotional says, in, in called The Greatest Gift, describes this by saying, the answer to deep anxiety is the deep adoration of God. And that's exactly what we see in Mary's Magnificat. So how does this fit with our mantra of guiding principle of belong, become, believe at Grace Church, right? So to adopt a way of peace, you have to believe in the hidden things, right? Um, but we try to follow this order of belong, become, believe, um, because we don't want to jump ahead to the end without building our foundation, right? So you may be in a position where trying to believe your way into peace feels like you might be skipping a few steps. And I'd say you're right. That's normal and natural. <laughs> so if you're feeling that way, back up just a little bit, right? Uh, go back to Mary's example, that first thing she did after the Annunciation, right? Going to Elizabeth, seeking community and someone who could support and affirm her in these trials, highlighting that they can see what God is doing and that she could see what God is doing together in their lives and in their bodies. We're in this room or online together for a very good reason. We can't belong to this community when we try to develop and maintain our faith in individual silos. It just doesn't work. So then the next step is to become. And I love a good list of steps to salvation. Don't get me wrong, but that's not how this works. <laughs> right? So Laura Holland in the teaching uh, meeting said, um, that to embody peace, we must invite the one who invites. And this is from the book, The Overshadowed Preacher, who writes, Mary's pregnancy gives imagery for this. Hospitable action is participatory and transformative. When a guest is truly welcomed without conditions, there is a fluidity that emerges in the encounter. There are changes in power and control, as well as self-knowledge in a genuine encounter the guest becomes the one who invites the one who invites, liberating the power of the host and hosting the host. Those who welcome Jesus like Mary did become in turn guests of God's redemptive work. Mary's conception changes who she is in both powerful and sacrificial ways, which in our society are contradictory terms. You can't have power when you sacrifice, but Mary shows us that's not true and you don't have to control it to do that. Being truly hospitable to Jesus within our hearts and minds will require giving up a great deal of control. And that doesn't mean we give up agency. Mary definitely had agency and a voice, um, but she willingly gave control of the steering wheel to God and to God's plan. 
This is a complete juxtaposition of how we normally respond to a chaotic situation. I tend to hold things very tightly, grab as much as I can, right? Um, but when we depend on ourselves or others to do something, we will fail. It won't be satisfactory, and we won't have peace. Um, my sister very wisely told me after my first big breakup that if I depend on that person for closure, I'll never get it. And it turns out that's right about most things in life, <laughs> right? So big sisters usually know what's up. Um, Alex mentioned in the teaching meeting more than a high uh, Alex mentioned in the teaching meeting that as he's gotten older, he's learned to quit controlling his narrative and his reputation. And that as he does that, he actually finds more peace. It's very counterintuitive to me. I think I have many years of learning <laughs> how to get this right, right? So this is what transforms us, though. This is how we become willing participants in God's kingdom here on earth, inviting the Prince of Peace to be our center of gravity, to lead us, which is in opposition to the original fall away from God. John quoted um, in the teaching meeting Rich Velotas, who said, Mary is the new Eve, and in her trust offers a new way of being. Eve says, let me have it. Mary says, let it be. Eve came from Adam. The new Adam came from the new Eve. We're going to take communion here in a minute, so um, I'll go ahead and welcome the worship team back up. This is an act of intimate community with one another and with Jesus. I'm going to close with a poem by Alison Woodard that Betty brought to our attention this week. Um, and I encourage you to contemplate Mary's embodiment of true peace through sacrifice and acceptance in the midst of chaos, the way she peacefully gave up her body for the sake of love and God's plan, something her son would do 33 years later. To be a mother is to suffer, to travail in the dark, stretched and torn, exposed in half-naked humiliation, subjected to indignities for the sake of new life. To be a mother is to say, this is my body broken for you. And in the next instant, in response to the created's primal hunger, this is my body, take and eat. To be a mother is to self-empty, to neither slumber nor sleep. So attuned you are to the cries in the night, offering the comfort of yourself and assurances of, I'm here. To be a mother is to weep over the fighting and exclusions and wounds your children inflict on one another. To long for reconciliation and brotherly love, and when all is said and done, to gather all parties, the offender and the offended, into the folds of your embrace, and to whisper in their ears that they are beloved. To be a mother is to be vulnerable, to be misunderstood, railed against, blamed, for the heartaches of the bewildered children who don't know where else to cast the angst they feel over their own existence in this perplexing universe. To be a mother is to hoist onto your hips those whom your image is imprinted, bearing the burden of their weight, rejoicing in their returned affection, delighting in their wonder, bleeding in the presence of their pain. To be a mother is to be accused of sentimentality one moment and injustice the next. To be the receiver of endless demands, absorber of perpetual complaints, reckoner of bottomless needs. To be a mother is to be an artist, a keeper of memories past, weaver of stories untold, visionary of lives looming ahead. To be a mother is to be the first voice listened to and the first disregarded. To be a mender of broken creations and comforter of the distraught children whose hands rock them. 
To be a mother is to be a touchstone and the source, bestower of names, influencer of identities, life giver, life shaper, empath, healer, and original love. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.